It was five o'clock on a winter's morning in Syria. Alongside the platform at Aleppo stood the train, grandly designated in railway guides as the Taurus Express. It consisted of a kitchen and dining car, a sleeping car, and two local coaches. By the step leading up into the sleeping car stood a young French lieutenant, resplendent in uniform, conversing with a small man muffled up to the ears of whom nothing was visible but a pink-tipped nose and the two points of an upward-curled moustache. It was freezingly cold, and this job of seeing off a distinguished stranger was not one to be envied, but Lieutenant Dubosc performed his part manfully. Graceful phrases fell from his lips in polished French. Not that he knew what it was all about. There had been rumours, of course, as there always were in such cases. The general, well, his general's temper had grown worse and worse. And then there had come this Belgian stranger, all the way from England, it seemed. There had been a week, a week of curious tensity. And then certain things had happened. A very distinguished officer had committed suicide, another had resigned. Anxious faces had suddenly lost their anxiety, and certain military precautions were relaxed. And the general, Lieutenant Dubosc's own particular general, had suddenly looked ten years younger. Dubosc had overheard part of a conversation between him and the stranger. Uh, you have saved us, mon cher said the general emotionally, his great white moustache trembling as he spoke. You have saved the honour of the French army. You have averted much bloodshed. How can I thank you for acceding to my request to have come so far? To which the stranger, by name Monsieur Hercule Poirot, had made a fitting reply, including the phrase, oh, But indeed, do I not remember that once you saved my life? And then the general had made another fitting reply to that, disclaiming any merit for that past service, and with more mention of France, of Belgium, of glory, of honour, and of such kindred things, they had embraced each other heartily, and the conversation had ended. As to what it had all been about, Lieutenant Dubosc was still in the dark, but to him had been delegated the duty of seeing off Monsieur Poirot by the Taurus Express and he was carrying it out with all the zeal and ardour befitting a young officer with a promising career ahead of him. "'Today is Sunday,' said Lieutenant Dubosc. "'Tomorrow, Monday evening, you will be in Stamboul.' It was not the first time he had made this observation. Conversations on the platform before the departure of a train are apt to be somewhat repetitive in character. "'That is so.' agreed Monsieur Poirot. And you intend to remain there a few days, I think? Ah, mais oui. Stamboul, it is a city I have never visited. It would be a pity to pass through comme ça. He snapped his fingers descriptively. Nothing presses. I shall remain there as a tourist for a few days. La Sainte-Sophie, it is very fine, said Lieutenant Dubosc, who had never seen it. A cold wind came whistling down the platform. Both men shivered. Lieutenant Dubosc managed to cast a surreptitious glance at his watch. Five minutes to five. <gasps> Only five minutes more. Fancying that the other man had noticed his surreptitious glance, he hastened once more into speech. There are few people travelling this time of year, 
he said, glancing up at the windows of the sleeping car above them. Uh, yeah, that is so, agreed Monsieur Poirot. Let us hope you will not be snowed up in the Taurus. Oh, that happens. It has occurred, yes, not this year, as yet. Well, let us hope then, said Monsieur Poirot. Well, the weather reports from Europe, they are bad. Oh, very bad. In the Balkans there is much snow. Oh, in Germany too, I have heard. Eh bien, said Lieutenant Dubosc hastily, as another pause seemed to be about to occur. Uh, tomorrow evening at 7.40 you will be in Constantinople. Uh, yes, said Monsieur Poirot, and went on desperately. La Sainte-Sophie, I have heard it is very fine. Ah, uh, magnificent, I believe. Above their heads, the blind of one of the sleeping car compartments was pushed aside, and a young woman looked out. Mary Debenham had had little sleep since she left Baghdad on the preceding Thursday. Neither in the train to Kirkuk, nor in the rest house at Mosul, nor last night on the train had she slept properly. Now, weary of lying wakeful in the hot stuffiness of her overheated compartment, she got up and peered out. This must be Aleppo. Nothing to see, of course, just a long, poor, lighted platform with loud, furious altercations in Arabic going on somewhere. And two men below her window were talking French. One was a French officer. The other was a little man with enormous moustaches. She smiled faintly. She'd never seen anyone quite so heavily muffled up. Oh, it must be very cold outside. Well, that was why they heated the train so terribly. She tried to force the window down lower, but it would not go. The wagonly conductor had come up to the two men. The train was about to depart, he said, and Monsieur had better mount. The little man removed his hat. What an egg-shaped head he had. In spite of her preoccupations, Mary Debenham smiled. A ridiculous-looking little man. The sort of little man one could never take seriously. Lieutenant Dubosc was saying his parting speech. He had thought it out beforehand, and had kept it till the last minute. It was a very beautiful, polished speech. Not to be outdone, Monsieur Poirot replied in kind. En voiture, monsieur, said the wagonly conductor. With an air of infinite reluctance, Monsieur Poirot climbed aboard the train. The conductor climbed after him. Monsieur Poirot waved his hand. Lieutenant Dubosc came to the salute. The train, with a terrific jerk, moved slowly forward. <sighs> enfin, murmured Monsieur Hercule Poirot. <sighs> said Lieutenant Dubosc, realizing to the full how cold he was. Voilà, monsieur. The conductor displayed to Poirot with a dramatic gesture the beauty of his sleeping compartment and the neat arrangement of his luggage. The little valise of monsieur, I have placed it here. His outstretched hand was suggestive, and Hercule Poirot placed in it a folded note. Oh, merci, monsieur. The conductor became brisk and businesslike. I have the tickets of monsieur. I will also take the passport, please. Monsieur breaks his journey at Stamboul, I understand. Monsieur Poirot assented. 
Uh, there are not many people travelling, I imagine, he said. Oh, no, monsieur, I have only two other passengers, both English, a colonel from India and a young English lady from Baghdad. Uh, monsieur requires anything? Monsieur demanded a small bottle of Perrier. Five o'clock in the morning is an awkward time to board a train, and there were still two hours before dawn. Conscious of an inadequate night's sleep and of a delicate mission successfully accomplished, Monsieur Poirot curled up in a corner and fell asleep. When he awoke, it was half-past nine, and he sallied forth to the restaurant car in search of hot coffee. There was only one occupant at the moment, obviously the young English lady referred to by the conductor. She was tall, slim and dark, perhaps twenty-eight years of age. There was a kind of cool efficiency in the way she was eating her breakfast and in the way she called to the attendant to bring her more coffee, which bespoke a knowledge of the world and of travelling. She wore a dark, coloured travelling dress of some thin material eminently suitable for the heated atmosphere of the train. Monsieur Hercule Poirot, having nothing better to do, amused himself by studying her without appearing to do so. She was, he judged, the kind of young woman who could take care of herself with perfect ease wherever she went. She had poise and efficiency. He rather liked the severe regularity of her features and the delicate pallor of her skin. He liked the burnished black head with its neat waves of hair and her eyes cool, impersonal and grey. But she was, he decided, just a little too efficient to be what he called jolie femme.